Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you might turn to Luke chapter 9. It's where we are. We've been in there at 9 for a while, but we'll be getting through it pretty soon. We're going to be starting in verse 46. So, um, so I take it from my Facebook wall that um, I think, was it Thursday was National Cat Day? Is that right? That's, that's like a thing, right? National Cat Day. Ugh. So I thought it might be good to let's just maybe um, talk about this a little bit. Um, so, so I was actually, and this is true, on Monday I was reading a, a couple of commentaries, a couple of books on Gospel of Luke, and I thought it was really interesting heading into the passage that we're in today that, that one commentator made a um, kind of a, a comparison about dogs and cats, and I thought it might work for us today. Uh, and you, I know you've probably heard this before, but to say, you know, like one of the big differences between a dog and a cat, like if you, if you have a dog and you pet your dog, right? Like the, the, the dog, it's happy, it wags its tail, it rolls over, wants you to scratch its belly, right? It, it kind of licks you and it, it loves you. And, it, and, it, and the going, you know, saying goes, it, it looks at you and thinks, well, you must be God, right? With your dog. If you love your dog, if you feed your dog, why well, you, must, you must be God. They say the difference is with a cat, you, you pet your cat, right? It purrs, it does the claw thing, right? It, it, it sits on your lap so you can't write on your computer and it thinks to itself, I must be God, right? That's what a cat, that's what a cat does. And I say that because actually there's a, there's a bit of a, a spiritual parallel because as Christians, you know, we all started as, as lost, needy, helpless people and we received the grace of God. God who reached down to us, who loved us, who gave us grace, who cared for us. And it's been said that a lot of times when we come to Christ, we're a little bit like the dog, right? We, we look to God, we, we respond with humble gratefulness, and, and maybe God begins to make some positive changes in our life. We call that sanctification, and, and he makes us more loving, and you know, maybe grows our patience, and our conversations with people begin to change, and, and our priorities begin to become aligned with God's, and maybe our actions, our reactions, our destructive habits begin to change. But sometimes, like the cat, we can start to get a little proud, can't we, as Christians? We, we can become proud of our apparent spirituality. Does that ever happen? Like um, of our Bible knowledge. I, I know so much more Bible than, than other people. Or of our spiritual disciplines. We become kind of proud of those. So the time we read our Bible and the time we spend in prayer. And while I think maybe most Christians wouldn't think I must be God, I think sometimes we think I, but I'm, I'm pretty awesome, right? I mean, I'm pretty good. In fact, when I look at a lot of the people around me, I feel really good, right? Like maybe I'm better than most of those nominal Christians out there. And today we, uh, we come to this passage where there's a, a debate. There's an argument that's taking place with the disciples. And the argument or the debate is which one of them is the greatest? Which one of them is the be best? So see, this is a strange conversation. Doesn't it strike you as strange a little bit? that these 12 men would have this discussion. Now, in verse 46 is where we pick up the story. And we've had the transfiguration. A couple weeks ago we looked at that. We had the casting out of a demon last week that the disciples couldn't do, but Jesus did. And now it says an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Right? Which of them was the best. So we're going to dive into this this morning. I want to pray for us first, and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into the text. 
Father God, I thank you so much for bringing us here this morning for a, a warm, dry place to be able to fellowship and to sing our praises to you, um, to encourage one another in the faith, and to open up your word. And now, Father, I pray that uh, just as your son 2,000 years ago was able to unfold this topic in a meaningful way for the disciples, really, I think, changed the course of their life. I pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds as well this morning to see what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Right? So now, let's think about this for a minute. What do we know? Well, so these were 12 guys just going about their life when Jesus came along and he called each one of them. And he began to love them, take them under his wing. He, he began to teach them. He had blessed them. He was encouraging them. Um, he was causing growth, spiritual growth in them. And, and it appears that the way they responded to this was instead of being humble, instead of thinking, wow, isn't this amazing that God chose me? Isn't this amazing that, that, that God has brought me along? They began to think, you know, I must be kind of special. Like, in fact, what they did is they looked at the uh, other 11 and said, you know, I must be even better than these other 11 guys. And they, they start kind of positioning. They start posturing themselves. And when you think about it, these 12 guys had elite status. I mean, they, they really did. They, uh, these are guys that have access to Jesus like no one else. But what they begin to forget is that that elite status was completely based on God's grace. Not on the fact that they had somehow earned it. Yet here they are kind of positioning, kind of elbowing one, and out, one another kind of to the side so that they can have kind of the, the, the top status. Now, most commentators, when you read about this passage, will say this. This is possibly the dumbest conversation in the history of humanity, all right? So here you've got these guys. They, they've been with Jesus. They've seen him cast out demons. They just saw that. They've seen him heal people. They, they've heard his teaching that's amazing. They've seen him raise someone from the dead. They, they've seen him, you know, exercise authority over nature and calm storms and feed thousands. And, and there's the transfiguration. And then when they, their response is, they look at one another and they, they kind of debate, I wonder which one of us is the greatest. Well, that would be Jesus, right? <laughs> like that would be the answer. And yet, Somehow, they decide to have this like, okay, but Jesus aside, right? Which one of us is the greatest? On the other hand, as dumb as this conversation appears to be, it's also possible that there's a, there's a good side to this conversation. Like, think about it this way. Are you ever inspired by greatness in other people? Like, maybe it's, it's an athlete. You ever see an athlete who, who's able to shoot a basketball or throw a pass or run a mile in a way that just inspires you and it makes you want to go out and do that? It makes you want to work harder and practice more? Or maybe as a musician, when you, when you hear someone, when you hear a song or see someone perform, it inspires you. It makes you want to go out and, and uh, you know, pursue excellence as a musician. Maybe a uh, Maybe you watch, uh, you know, a show on TV where there's, there's cooking going on. Maybe you watch, you know, Chopped or something like that. And it just makes you want to go out and try cooking a new meal. And, or maybe it's a house renovation show, right? And you're just like, yeah, we're going to renovate that room. Or maybe it's a, <clears throat> a good piece of literature. And when you, when you read it, it inspires you. It makes you want to go out and write something as well. 
For me, it's whenever I hear a great piece of music that's based around a guitar, I just instantly want to go grab my guitar, figure out that song, and do it. And a lot of times it inspires me to, to try to write some of my own music. And I, I think possibly that's what's going on here with the disciples. I think they're so in awe of Jesus. They're so in awe of his character and of his goodness and his, his wisdom and his power that it, it's inspiring them to greatness. They, they want to be like him, and he's, he's great. And I say this because... Notice Jesus' reaction. He doesn't rebuke them, and it's not like he doesn't know how, because he's rebuked them before, and he'll rebuke them again. But he doesn't really rebuke them here. In fact, what it seems like is it seems like he's saying, all right, you want to be great? Let's talk about that, right? So it, the, the, pick, the problem is you've got to have the right picture of greatness. So what is greatness, by the way? And I think, you know, typically today when we think about greatness you hear things like, well, you know, he's got a 4.0, so that, you know, that's pretty great. Or, you know, she's on varsity, or he went pro, so you must be great if you went pro. Or, you know, they have a really, you know, a great college degree from a really important, uh, well-known university and, you know, got straight A, so he must be a great person. Or, you know, she has a seven-figure salary, or, you know, they've got an attractive spouse or dating someone who's attractive, and, right, no one would date a loser, so, you know, if they're good-looking. Or maybe they have a big home, right? If you have a big home in a nice neighborhood, you must be a great person. If your kids are successful, right? That must mean that, you know, you did something, something right. If you're a millionaire, or today it's kind of a, I think it's a billionaire, right? Or if people know your name, or if they listen to your podcast, or if you have a lot of followers on Twitter, or on your YouTube channel, or people are always coming to seek your advice. And, and I think a lot of times we just misunderstand what greatness is. In fact, uh, the Pew Research Center did a survey a couple years ago and found out that 51%, get this, 51% of 18 to 25-year-olds said that becoming famous was their generation's most important goal. Because we've come to believe that greatness is synonymous with being famous or well-known. And I say that, and I think, you know, a lot of times we just look on television, we look at reality TV, we see what's going on, and we could see that. But I, I think even in the church, we've kind of begun to sink down to, to that level, even as Christians. And I say that because it's, it's, well, so it's really bothersome. Like, it made me think a little bit, and I, mean, I want to be careful about this, but even the way in Christian circles today, um, we, we've begun to make celebrities out of, like I think the interesting thing is how in the church today, uh, we make celebrities out of worship leaders, right? Who have, you know, big albums and sell a lot of music and they come to town. And in fact, it was interesting recently, I was watching on TV a show. It was an award show where Christian musicians get together and give each other awards for um, their worship music. Now, does it... Does this seem strange at all? So it's like, I wrote a song for Jesus, so everybody will sing praises to Jesus. But I hope I win an award for writing a song to Jesus so people will recognize me and think that I'm great. And, and I, I see this happening in the church today. We have celebrity worship leaders. We have celebrity musicians, which really doesn't make sense in Christianity. We have, so we have a lot of celebrity pastors today. Uh, I was, see, somebody told me about this and I didn't believe it was true, so I went and checked it out and it's true. You can buy a t-shirt now that says, my pastor is hotter than yours. <laughs> it's like a real t-shirt. <clears throat> I've noticed none of you wear it. Uh, <laughs> 
And I think the reaction sometimes is that sometimes you meet Christians who say, well, I just don't want to get into any of that, right? I just, so I'm just going to be over here. I'm going to be humble. I don't want to be noticed. I don't want to stand out. I'm just going to sit over in the corner. I'm going to play it safe. My goal is not to embarrass Jesus or myself and just get through this life and get to heaven. But don't you think that God has actually designed us for greatness? Doesn't it make sense that we would aspire to greatness for the glory of God? See, I believe that what the Bible teaches is that God has given every one of us a mind for it through the working of the Spirit, a mind for greatness. I believe God gives every one of us opportunities for true greatness. He's given us his Spirit to achieve greatness and power. I believe that this is something we should aspire to, but it's the kind of greatness that's important. See, as Christians, our passion should be to glorify God. We've talked about this a lot lately, but that should be our number one passion. The thing that gets us up in the morning, that we live in whatever we do, wherever we go, wherever we work, wherever we go to school, whoever we spend time with, our main goal is to bring glory to God. So think about it. Does it glorify God to live a half-hearted, lazy, safe life? I mean, don't you want to have a great prayer life? Don't you, don't you want to have a, a prayer life that is, that, that is full, that is thriving, that is, that is connected to God? Don't you want to have, if you're married, don't you want to have a great marriage? Not just a good marriage, not just a getting by, but a, but a truly great marriage. If you're a parent, don't you aspire, shouldn't you aspire to be a great parent? Uh, to have great theology, right? We talked about that back in 1 Timothy. To have a great theology. Everyone is a theologian. It's just some are terrible theologians and some are, some are great theologians, right? Don't you want to be a part of a great church? Don't you want to be not just a blessing, but a great blessing, a great friend to other people? So it says this. It says, Jesus knowing the reasoning of their hearts. So Jesus, he can read their minds. He knows what they're thinking, and so they come to Jesus, basically, they have this conversation, hey Jesus, we kind of want to be great. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, that's lame, he just says, okay, let's talk about how to do it, all right? Let's talk about how to be great. How can we do that? Two pictures that he gives us. The first picture is this, the picture of a child. So I think what Jesus is saying here is, it's not wrong to want to be great. In fact, I think it honors God to want to be great in this life. It's, it's what greatness is. So the first thing he says is, think of a, a child, picture a child. In verse 47, so Jesus took a child and put him by his side. And, and he said to everyone, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So he he gives a little contrast here. Jesus, you know, finds a child, kind of pulls him up next to him. So you have, you have Jesus, a rabbi, a miracle worker, an unparalleled teacher. Uh, he was everything to the disciples. Um, they valued him above everyone else. And then there's a child who's next to him, which as we'll find in a minute, socially is a nobody, is at the bottom of the social ladder. You know, maybe he's holding a juice box and he's got, you know, mismatched socks on and, and his head's all messed up, right? And, he's, and, and so you got Jesus the rabbi and this little kid with a booger in his nose, right? Right next to him and Jesus is holding, you know, right next to him. Now, the question becomes, what's, what's Jesus' point? Like, why is he pointing to a child? And I think, because in terms of the culture back then, though children were loved and children were valued and cherished, they were at the bottom of the social ladder. 
So let me read you this. This is from the Talmud, which is a, a writing of Jewish rabbis. And um, this is a saying. In fact, every commentary I read this week had this, this quote in there. It says this. This is a saying back in Jesus' day. Morning sleep, midday wine, chattering with children, and tearing in places where men of the common people assemble destroy a man. So here's the point, right? If you want to be a loser, sleep in. Drink alcohol with lunch, hang out with losers, and spend time with kids. Right? That's how they thought about kids. Hanging out with a kid is like drinking alcohol at lunch. It's like sleeping until one in the afternoon. So Jesus says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. In other words, here's the first picture. If you want to be a truly great person, and I hope that you do, right? Hang out with those at the margins of society. That's what he's saying. At the margins. Associate with them. Love them. Serve them as we'll see in a minute. Jesus just says this. When you bless a kid, when you minister to a kid, when you hang out with a kid, right? You're blessing Jesus. He's talking about those at the bottom of the social ladder. He's talking about the socially awkward people. He's talking about people, you know, the, the poor, the homeless, uh, those, who have, those who have nothing to offer you in return. Jesus tells a story one time about inviting people to your house for a banquet. He says, when you do it, invite people who won't be able to invite you to their house because they don't have a house and they can't feed you because they don't have food. He's like, he says, those are the kind of people to invite to your house and then you'll have a reward in heaven. These are the people for whom there's no financial benefit for you to befriend them. There's no social benefit for you to befriend them. He's talking about children. So the first example, he says, is children. Hang out with them, befriend them, you know. Uh, like them on your Facebook page. And the second one is this. He says, the second example is be a servant. So in verse 48, he says, for he who is least among you all is the one who is the greatest. And in the Gospel of Mark, he kind of adds, Mark adds a little bit to this when he says this. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So first he says hang out with kids and then he says if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. So what is a servant? Well, everybody back then knew a servant was someone whose main goal and main job was to focus on the needs of, of everyone else. So if you were a servant in a house and, and, and you know, somebody walked in the room, your main goal was them, was to think about them, was to take care of them. What can you do for them? Now, this is very different from the typical human strategy for living day in and day out because most people in this world think this way. Most of us look out for our needs first and then We'll look out for the needs of others if there's time left. So this plays out in a lot of ways, right? It's why we call shotgun, right? <laughs> We're going to get in the car and go for it. I got shotgun, right? Because if I can't drive, I at least want the first, I want the front seat, right? That's kind of the strategy of the world. I run shotgun. I'm controlling the music. I get the remote. We'll watch what I want on TV. You know, if we have some money left at the end of the month, I, I want to be considered first. I want to be the first in the conversation. It should be about me. I want the attention. I want the credit. But a servant... It's completely different. A, a servant says, I'm going to focus on you. Let's talk about you and your needs. I mean, that's Jesus, right? We've been seeing this. Jesus comes along. He says, oh, you're sick? Well, let's take care of that, right? Oh, you're confused and you need truth? Well, let me give you some truth. You're hungry? No, I'll feed you. But there's 5,000 of you? Well, we'll feed you anyways, right? You're afraid? Well, I'll comfort you. You're lonely, Jesus says. I'll come and be a friend to you. 
You're at the bottom of the social ladder, Jesus says. I don't care. You're a leper and no one will hang out with you. I don't care, Jesus says. I'll be with you anyways. You're Samaritan. You're an outcast. You're a sinner. You're a tax collector. Jesus says, I don't care. I'm just going to come alongside and love you because it's not about me. It's about you. You're dead in your sin. Jesus says, hey, I'll take care of that too. And notice not just a servant. In fact, let me just read this again. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all. And, and then read those last three words with me. And servant of all. Notice, of all. Servant of all. This is a big one. It means kind of without bias. That word all is an important one. So not a servant of a selective group. A servant of, you know, this demographic. A servant of all. A servant of everyone. So not just a servant of the rich, right? Because, well, if I'm a servant of the rich, then, you know, maybe I'll make some good friends, some influential friends. Not just a servant of the rich, but a servant of the poor, a servant of all. And not just a servant of the poor. Sometimes people do this. Well, I only serve the poor. I don't serve the rich because, you know, well, they're rich, right? So they have their own set. Yeah, I'll just, just the poor. Not just a servant of the young, not just a servant of the old. Not just a servant of the homeless or those who have a home or those who are employed or those who aren't or those who are socially awkward or those who are not, but a servant of all. Now, to be a servant of all is, I don't, I don't know, for, it can be a challenge when you think about it. A servant of all. A couple years back, I was kind of actually wrestling with this whole, with this whole concept. I, so I've shared this before, but I, I would say I always feel a little bit um, socially awkward um, a lot of times. I just, uh, sometimes I walk into social situations and I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do. And I'll, then I will overthink everything and then it just gets worse. Some of you know what I mean. Uh, one of the common challenges I would face is on the weekends um, before a service, uh, like I'd be walking through the foyer and there's a couple hundred people and I would always just feel like, who do I talk to, right? Because I can't talk to everyone. There's too many people. There's not enough time. And I, so every weekend I'd walk in and I'd try to, well, he, he looks lonely. I'll talk to him. Well, wait, I, I need to talk to him about something. Well, I'll talk. And I would, oh, and, and what, and I would always kind of walk away feeling like, oh, I blew it. I should have talked to her. I should have talked to him. Or, oh, now I realize that guy was over in the corner or whatever. And it would just always be like, I just try to go down and figure this out. And then one day I remember just sick of just praying about it. And this has always been a struggle for me. And I was reading this passage and I realized I actually shouldn't, I just shouldn't be thinking about it at all. I just shouldn't think about it. I should just walk down in the foyer and if someone says hi, I'll say hi. And if I brush up against someone, I'll say hi. And I'll do this and I'll do this and peace out and whatever, you know. But the whole point is it should, just shouldn't be, it's, in a way, it's, this is the thing you don't think about. You just don't think about it. You just say hi. You just talk to who, whoever comes up, in, whoever comes across your path because you're the servant of all. So it's without bias. Stop, stop making decisions. Stop looking at the way people are dressed. Stop laying, thinking about where they are in the social ladder. Just, just don't think about that at all. Just be the servant of all. So I think one of the big questions we have to really wrestle with and decide is, do I want to be great in society's eyes or do I want to be great in God's eyes? Because those are two different things, right? They're two different things. And as Christians, I'll say it again, we live for the glory of God. So that makes it kind of easy for us, right? Now, that means sometimes we may not, you know, we may not make the most money. 
When we decide to live for the glory of God instead of the, the accolades of men, it means we might not get the promotion. It means we might not get everyone's approval. We might not have lots of friends. We might not get the applause. But instead, we focus on bringing glory to God. And that's, that's what's really going on in this passage. How do we bring glory to God relationally? We befriend children and we become the servant of all, of everyone. I'll say it again, without bias. That, that impacts how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we use our abilities, our gifts, our talent, how we organize our life, how we interact with family and friends. And sometimes when we talk about this, you might think, but it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> befriending children, right? Befriending the social out. Come on, let's be honest. There are some people you don't talk to because if you start a conversation, right? You're like, well, I'll be here for an hour, right? Jesus says, we stop. We stop thinking like that. You think, I don't know, it sounds like a lot of work to be a servant, to be a servant of all. Here's the reality. The reality is it's not hard work. It's liberation. It liberates you from having to use people in order to feed your ego and your narcissism and get in your way. You realize that so many of us, we just become enslaved to this thing. Enslaved to who we're going to talk to now. I, there's three people. Which one will benefit me the most, right? Which one do I want to be seen with? Which one? And it, it frees us from that. We're set free. We don't have to deal, we don't have to ask those questions anymore. Now we're set free to really truly love people because now we just focus on them and we glorify God. And kind of as an aside, I just kind of want to give you a warning. And we see this in the passage and that is this, this comparing of ourselves to other people. Because that's what the disciples are doing, really. There's 12 of them, and I picture them kind of standing in a circle, and they're comparing themselves to each other, like going, so which one of us is the greatest? And maybe, you know, Peter and James and John are like, well, we're, the, we're kind of the inner circle, so it's got to be one of us. And, you know, Peter's like, well, it's probably me, because I talk the most. And John's like, yeah, but you say the most stupid things. And so, you know, there's this whole thing going on, but they're, they're kind of debating. See, here's the problem with comparing ourselves to other people. It's always been said it leads to one or two things, either pride or despair. Right? When, we, when we compare ourselves to people, it either leads to pride, where we decide, I'm better than them, I'm, you know, comparatively speaking. Right? Because most of us, right, we're, if we're going to compare ourselves, we're going to find the underachievers around us, and we're going to compare ourselves to them. Well, at least I'm better than them. I'm not Hitler. Right? We like to raise the standard really high. I'm not Hitler. I'm, I haven't done that. So I feel, pretty, I feel pretty good about myself. Right? Or it leads to despair. I'm a loser because I'm not like you, because I don't measure up. See, we should be inspired when we see greatness in other people. That should inspire us and we should learn from them, but we don't, we don't compare. So my question for you is this. Do you pick your friends based on what they can do for you or what you can do for them? When you look at your roster of friends, so you might go home today and look at, you know, look at your, who do you have on your phone and who do you talk to a lot? Is it based on what they can do for you? Is it based on what you can get from them? Or is it based on what you can give to them? Is it because they're connected? They have power? They have money? They, they can help you get ahead? 
Because again, that's, you, that's not loving people, that's using people for your own gain. Jesus says, it's not how we roll in my kingdom. And when you think about it, I mean, Jesus encapsulates all this. Think about this. Jesus is up in heaven, on his throne, worshiped by angels, will is always done, always honored, gets off the throne, comes down, down to this messed up world, and he begins to serve us. He comes down to our level. He associates with us. We're, the, we're all the children in this grand story. And Jesus comes and he kneels down and he begins to serve us. Why did he do it? His reputation was not improved by that. He didn't like get more friends on LinkedIn because he came and served us, right? There was no financial benefit for Jesus to come and serve us. No career advancement for Jesus by coming to serve. There was nothing, nothing there, so to speak. We, we had nothing to offer him that he didn't already have. And yet he still sought us, still loved us, still served us. And he did it because he's good. He did it because he's good and he loves us. Jesus says, if you belong to me, just go out and do the same thing with other people. Show them what I'm like. So I would say this, folks. We ought to be those who aspire to greatness for the glory of God. And so I want to encourage you to think about examining your relational roster and your agenda, right? To, to, to take a look at your heart and your motives and the friends that you spend time with and to ask yourself, what is your attitude when you're with them? Is it to get from them or is it to give? Is it about you or is it about them? Are you a servant? And are you a servant of all? And I'll close with this. A little over a year ago, um, and if you were here at the time, you'll know I had done some, um, I'd done some damage to my legs, and I, so I, had a, a, I went to the doctor. I had a, a boot on one leg, and I eventually ended up in crutches. And um, the boot wasn't so bad. Like, if you've been in one, yeah, I mean, you can get around. Crutches are like, ugh, I didn't like the crutches at all. And I remember the first day I got crutches, I, I called my daughter, and I said, ah, we need to go. I need to go to Target and get something. You want to go with me? She's like, yeah. So I picked her up, and Abby and I went, went to Target, and we got we got about, I don't know, 20 yards into Target and I thought, good grief, this store is huge, right? When you're on crutches and then I, I've, I never think, so I'm going down the aisle and I'm going to, you know, pick something up and then I'm like, wait, how do you, how do you pick something up and carry it with crutches? And, that, and this is true, the whole time my daughter's following me with her cell phone just taking pictures. <laughs> Snapchatting her friends. She's like, look at my lame dad. He's trying to buy, you know, like Drano and carry it with a, on the crutch. And I just, but, but over the next few weeks as I'm on crutches, I really, I began to notice something interesting and I would experiment sometimes. Like if I would go out um, and, and I'd have to go somewhere with crutches, um, if I would, I noticed like sometimes if I dressed up really nice, sometimes people were quicker to open doors for me. If, if I didn't, sometimes they weren't quite as quick to open doors for me. Um, and what I noticed was though, in general, um, when it came to who would open doors, because a lot of times with crutches, you get to a door and you can't, and you're trying to get it open and you can't get it open. So somebody hopefully will come open it for you. And what I noticed was um, there was really no demographic, like it wasn't mostly men or women or young or old or rich or poor, any of that stuff. Um, People who tended to rush to the door and open it for me um, basically always said the same thing when they came and opened the door. And what they said was, I know what that's like. 
People would come to the door, they'd open the door and say, I was in a boot, I was, I was in a cast, I was in crutches, I was on a wheelchair, and I know what it's like. I know how hard it is to get around. I know how hard it is to open a door. Let me carry that stuff for you because I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I've been there. I think that's part of what we as Christians, the mindset that we need to have. We need to remember. Do you remember what it was like to be lost? Do you remember what it was like to be without Christ? Have you ever been in despair? Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever been hungry? Some of you have. Have you ever been homeless? I know some of you have. Remember what that's like. Have you ever been sick? Have you ever been on crutches? Have you ever been in need? Have you ever just needed a friend? A cup of coffee? Just a hug? Jesus says, don't forget that. Never forget that. Remember what that's like. And then go out and love those people and serve those people. If you want to be great, and I hope you do, I hope you do, learn to be the servant of everyone.